HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. The Houseman XP Podcast Network is taking you on the journey. Your host, Master Trainer Heath Hyatt, will combine his decades of experience as a houndsman and as a professional trainer that will light the path forward and make our packs lighter on this lifelong journey to become better hunters and houndsmen. There are no shortcuts, so lace up those boots and grab a dog leash. The journey begins now. Hey guys, the journey on Houndsman XP is teamed up with Go Wild. Go Wild is a social media platform that was made for hunters by hunters. If you guys and gals have listened to any of the other podcasts that I've been on, you know what a huge outdoor enthusiast I am. I love being in the woods with my hounds. There's nothing more exciting than hearing the thunder of a spring gobbler. I love fishing for trout in the brooks and the streams, and I love being on the river chasing that ever-elusive fish of a thousand casts, the muskie. Go Wild is the place that I can post my trophies, hunts, and memories without being censored. But Go Wild is so much more than that. It's a place to share your stories, sharpen your skills, hone your tactics, get gear reviews, and shop for anything outdoors. When you make a purchase from the Go Wild store, everything is free shipping. Anything that you purchase anywhere in the country, no matter how big, free shipping. So go down to the show notes, click on the Go Wild link at the bottom, and get signed up today. And let's go wild. All right, on today's journey, we're going to stay here in southwest Virginia. Actually, we're just going right over top of the ridge here in Reiner to a, it's kind of been a a family friend and a friend through high school growing up. And actually, it's funny because we grew up 45 minutes away and now we live within a mile of each other. He lives, I live on one side of the ridge and he lives on the other. But this is a, a close friend of mine that we've spent a lot of time in the woods <laughs> in the woods chasing dogs together and kind of taking two different paths um, but we're here today with uh, chad wheeler chad is a well, i'm just gonna let you talk about it how's things across the ridge chad things are good across the ridge yeah so tell us a little bit about yourself tell us tell us what you're doing um i know you're a hose dragger that may offend some people, but <laughs> maybe maybe Forrest and Leslie and Fuzzy, because that's what they all do together. But no, like you said, Heath, we grew up together in over in Nares, and uh, you know, I started in the fire service there just as a volunteer, and I was like, I think I can make a career out of this, and because I enjoyed it. So one thing led to another, and ended up in Roanoke, and uh, it's been a great career. 
um, enjoy it. Uh, my days are numbered, um, and I guess we're looking forward to retirement. How many How many years do you have in? I've been down there twenty two years. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, well, both of us are on our getting close, getting ready to close that chapter of our life, so we can do more things we want to do. That's you know, I'm I'll have my twenty in in nine months, and I if I can get the next five, so five, a little under six years, if I can get my 25 is my goal. I hope that's what I can do because I, man, work is getting in the way of my life. I can't, (laughs) I can't get on the river or the creeks or I can't, can't get in the woods enough. So hopefully, you know, and and I've, I've acquired a lot of time off through the 19 years that I've, I've been in. And so I'm pretty blessed and working 14 days a month and you're, you do, 24 on, 24 off. Is yeah, that what you're doing? Great, it's a great schedule. You know, ultimately I work nine to 10 days a month, depending on the number of days in that month. Well, you mean you sleep and eat? So, yeah. <laughs> Tell what firemen do, sleep and <laughs> well, eat. I'm busy. I'm <laughs> overly busy. So, Chad, when I was trying to think, when did we, when did we first start? I mean, I know, like I said, we grew up together, played sports together. I mean, camp and trip. I mean, I remember all that stuff. When did we start actually? coon hunting was it when i had brandy yes that's when it all started i think we messed around with some other guys over in there's with some hounds and and you bought brandy and that was the that was the beginning of it all yeah she was, she was special she was a nice hound i'd like to have a couple more just like her but you know but i don't hunt like i i mean i don't i don't coon hunt i mean i was hunting six nights a week and you know i just don't i don't i don't do that anymore i'm uh, you know, with family coming along and careers and, you know, training in and out of town and stuff like that, you just, sometimes you can't, you can't put that much time into it in certain stages of your life. But, and then you ended up getting a red bone. Is that where you started? <laughs> That's where I started was with that red bone. Oh, oh, Joe Buck. <laughs> Did that come from AD? Came from AD, AD Burton. Burton yeah. County. Yeah. And I mean, AD, you know, he, he was a special kind of character. He let his. He had what a thousand acres. Yeah, a thousand acre farm, and those dogs just stayed loose the whole time. Yep, they never, never were tied up. Right. Yeah, I remember that. I remember. I mean, I remember staying in the cabin and running around half the night up there. <laughs> and then when did we? When you bear hunted? We hunted some. Yeah, we we coon hunted some, and then then the bear hunting kind of evolved after the coon. You were coon with hunt. me on that first. You were with me when we went up when James shot that bear up on the Boy Scout camp and yep. Porter brought his dog. You yep. were with me that day. Oh yeah, yeah. You were actually. I, I mean, I just come to lot. You were with me on the f- first day of my obsession, <laughs> which has led into a lifestyle. Do you remember that big old Ford? Was a two fifty or three fifty single wheel truck that he had, and that thing was a dog box in the back of it. It must have been thirty hounds. Right? I do remember that. <laughs> I, yeah, and I bought two of those dogs, and that's what started my my career, I guess, or started my you know I don't call it a passion because it's really a lifestyle at this point. But yeah, bought two dogs from him, and I forgot that you were with me. Actually, I mean that's that's <laughs> and we chased those dogs around, me and you and Anthony. We chase them dogs around. They didn't do nothing. A lot. We chased them a long ways. <laughs> we had a flashlight. We had a flashlight, and we didn't even have a tracking collar for the. I don't remember no. for the first. 
no. time of that. No, we didn't have tracking collars. It was, you lose a dog, well, somebody will call within a couple of days. We'll go pick it up. <laughs> we were coon hunting. <laughs> we were coon hunting with a 20-gauge shotgun. <laughs> I remember that. We was up on Spider's place. Yeah, and sure enough. They ended up running all the way down to Penver. Yep. Which, you know, I know you guys don't have a clue. Some of you guys local would, but. I mean, that's a couple miles through the woods. I don't even know how we found Somebody called us. They Somebody were treating. called us. Yeah. yeah. And they treated that coon out there. I think it was, um, I can't, I, th- I think it was out there beside Keith and him's house and Keith Albert and him. And they called us and we went up there and they had a coon. And I, I mean, I couldn't tell you that there were three happier people. <laughs> I think that was the first one we ever treated. But yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, those, that's been a long time ago. Long time ago. I mean, that was back in the mid Early to mid-90s, yeah. Yeah, early 90s. Yeah, so, I mean, we go back, I mean, it's been back. And then, you know, I laugh and joke and carry on, and Paul talks about it, and Anthony talks about it, you know, us your last bear hunt. Oh, yeah. And I've got a picture of you in front of your dad's office downstairs uh, that they put in the Virginian leader. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Do you remember what year that was? I don't. I don't. I, re- I would say... I would say 95-ish, 96 maybe. No, it couldn't have been. Because I had Frosty and Bale and Sam and Smokey. So Frosty, I didn't purchase Frosty until 96. So it had to be 98, 99. Okay, maybe. 98. 97, 98. Yeah. I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. So t- tell us about that. I remember. You, I want you to tell the story. Because oh I remember you coming out of that Laurel Thicket. I, I want you to tell us what... Tell, I want you to recap that 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 hunt. That was the whole. It, uh, Just so it you guys know, restart. he has not been back since. That was his <laughs> last time, twenty some years ago, <laughs> chasing bearhound. Call me smart, I guess. I don't know, but uh, we started. We went up that mountain that morning, and there was snow on. And you know, Heath, you know as well as I do. Back then, bear were scarce. That you know, we weren't. It wasn't a lot of bear, and there was a track that he crossed the road. Oh, boy. So, uh, hey, Chad, why don't you walk this track out for us? <laughs> okay. So there I went with a flashlight through the woods. I mean, it's it's early. So, I got, yeah, I got I to gotta give everybody a little uh, drop on this. So my buddy from New York was in, and we had got up at 3 o'clock that morning. And I don't know why we had got up that early, because back then there was not as many bear hunters as there is now. We really didn't have to be in there at 3.30 or 3 o'clock. But we got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, started driving roads, found this track going out of out of one valley up through through into another valley that we hunt. And, yeah, we I said, all right, Chad, I said, won't you walk that track? And I don't know why we even did that because our dogs w- would have took the track. Um, but anyway, so Chad starts up into this, and this. Like it, we had to wait till it got daylight to even go find him. So yeah, so I'm walking this track with a flashlight, and it's just zigzagging through laurels, and then you're talking about miserable. I was miserable, but I kept <laughs> going and pushing forward, and uh, you know, daylight came, and you know, here I am still zigzagging through the laurels, following <clears throat> this track, and we got in there and. I think he turned some, ended up turning a dog loose on it, and the dog opened on it, and they got turned more dogs loose. And we run into Scott Mustard, and yeah, ran into and those the, boys, and yep. uh, and they jumped the bear, and they ran that bear all day long. They, they ran that bear bear for a long time. 
Yeah. And we get down in there and I don't know if the bear was coming out or I don't know what was happening, but you know. Oh, but you're missing some of the best parts of the story. <laughs> so the bear actually crossed the Appalachian. We call it the AT. The bear track crossed the AT. So we walked out the AT to cut to cut where Chad was at. He was drenched. If anybody's been through the laurel thickets in in southwest Virginia, he come out and he looked like the abominable snowman. And he looked at me and he, his words were, never again. And he lived true to those words because he's never been back. So we cut him on the AT. Um, we run into Scott Mustard and, and those guys who I ended up hunting with for several years after that when I took a job in a different area. And the do- they took the dog and went down into this big valley. And, and Chad's right, they ran it the most part of the day. So the dog's treed. And here's where, you know, again, we walked out to AT, which was the easiest walking because it was just snow on the ground. We didn't have to go through the laurel. We could hear the dogs treed. So we thought they were on the other side of this valley. So we walked, well, it's, it's actually four and a half miles in to, to a, the, where the trail makes a loop and comes back up the other side of the valley. So we walked four and a half miles in, then come back half of that. And then we realized that the dogs were right underneath the other side where we were at. We, they were underneath a ridge, which was echoing across, which made us think. So then we have to trounce through the, the snow and the laurel thickets and crossing the creeks to get up to the tree and then scott hands chad nobody wanted to kill it chad said well i'll kill it we hand chad a rifle that the literally if scott mustard if you're listening to this he will he will know he had used electrical tape to tape the front sight on the 3030 <laughs> so yeah the, the bear was coming out chad puts a round in it and um, we lost a gun that day we lost people that day uh Paul and I ended up, the dogs ended up going back around the mountain and over into another holler. We was able to get in there and get it killed. And when I say that, it was right at dark. Like we literally, it was dark. It was a long day. It was a very, very long day. I don't, and I don't know how many miles we walked through that God awful mess, but it was. (laughs) It's broke of many people. uh, Yeah. So we ended up. Did you, you went out on the bottom end, didn't I did, you? Yeah. you and Anthony and yep, whoever. And then, so yeah, Paul and I ended up coming back out the top end. And I can, I can honestly say that's before, I mean, I was very inexperienced, didn't, you know, young and dumb, whatever you want to say, but I didn't pack any drinks. I didn't have any snacks with me. When we pulled back up out of that place to the AT to go back to our trucks, that's probably the worst shape I've ever been. I was lightheaded. I'd had no energy. In fact, I was picking up snow and stuffing in my mouth for to, to rehydrate myself. So, and then we ended up having to we ended up putting a tracking collar on the bear, so we could come back in the next day to get it. And it took us probably half a day to get it out. So, and that, what was that bear? Two twenty five, two fifty. He's two fifty, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a nice bear. But yeah. yeah, when Chad come out and hit the AT, he did say he said I am I'm he said never again, and to this day, like I said, he has not volunteered to go back. Now, his son will go sometimes, but I'm not so sure he's cut out for it either. Eh, I don't think so. I, I think he's uh, 
he was coon hunting, you know, six, seven nights a week, and now that's that's slacked off too. Well, but, you know, hey, I gotta say that wasn't my last bear hunt. I did go on a bear hunt with hounds in northern Maine, and that was something did you? To, yeah, that was something to experience. Too. Well, tell us about it. Where was it at? Who was it with? <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm not gonna name any sporting camps. For, yeah, but uh, it was a respectful, I guess, so to speak, hound guy in northern Maine. Um, I was actually going up there to bird hunt, and he he asked my son, my oldest son, if he wanted to go on a bear hunt. And, well, of course, any 13-year-old kid is going to say, yes, absolutely, let's go. So so we did. And in, in northern Maine, you know, we're, we're running, uh, running the hounds off the baits up there, so mm-hmm. they, know, they know what's what, you know. There wasn't the the trail cameras that there are now, but you know they baited some sites and then checked the baits that morning. And sure enough, um, one had hit the bait and they turned the hounds loose on it. And then again, uh, two hundred pound bear, two hundred and yeah, two two and a quarter, and that bear just ran all over that country. And the advantage up there is there's it's not overly steep. It is thick, nasty crap, um, but there's a lot of roads, so you. You can drive around and and get get in and out of there a lot easier. Um, bear wooden tree, just running and running and fighting dogs and running and running and fighting dogs, and the the only shot that the kid had on the bear, the bear was crossing the road. This was we started this bear at I don't know before seven that morning, and this is two o'clock in the afternoon, and finally we were set up in the road and. You know, there's a 13-year-old kid with a rifle in his hand, and the bear pops out, and there's hounds all over the bear. Oof. And so he didn't take the shot. Well, the guy, the guide, or the owner of the outfitter service, he he, he got all mad and was mm. yelling at the kid, and, you know, it didn't set too well with me, and right. I gave, had a few choice words with him, and, you know, so that, that was a lot of pressure on a kid, and... And probably the right decision it, too. It was absolutely the right. I don't. Decision. Want, I don't want anybody shooting absolutely in amongst a, the right a bear with my yeah, dogs all a, over. A thirteen-year-old kid. I mean, the kid could <clears> shoot. <throat> the kid was good, it, but I, I wouldn't want that. No. And but he was mad because you know he thought that we were going to go and run a track for a couple hours and tree and kill the bear, and it didn't work that way. And you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was it was another all day adventure of five o'clock before we were able to catch hounds off that bear that we never saw again. So right, uh, yeah, that was a that was another. I won't say it was a great experience. It was it was an experience probably better than beating my brains out in the <laughs> laurel for hours. But. Well, real quick, and then we're going to get into what what you do and what you bring to the table. But you know. I look, I just, you know, just through this conversation, you know, we went from no tracking collars to the beep, beep collars, and now we're into the Garmin's, and I know you're yeah. using them too, and like, it's just a world change. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a game changer Absolutely. for hunting, um, for training, for, for everything hound related or, or dog, you know, bird dogs, labs, pointer, yeah. whatever. So, and Jed, I remember, you know, you and your dad always had out there in the, the, the kennel behind your your house y'all always had a bird dog right and at what point did you decide that was something that and i know you always enjoyed it 
but I didn't realize that it was going to lead you down the path that it did. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Probably that probably those uh, that bear hunting excursion <laughs> that we took. Uh, you know, I, if you turn those hounds loose, you can't just up and go home when you want to. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> turn those dogs loose, for the most part, I can go home when I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it the, the bird dogs have always... I've been around them, you know, since the day I was born. You know, my grandfathers and great uncles had had bird dogs, and you know there were birds around, and um, that's that's kind of where that all started. I, there was an absence, and I switched over to the hounds, <clears throat> but uh, now I'm back into the bird dogs. And so, how uh, how long have you? And I just you know for everybody listening. What kind of you running um, pointers and English setters? Yeah, mostly pointers and well, pointers and setters. Right. Um, you know, English setters and there's quite the difference amongst the two. However, um, there's still also a lot of similarities. So how how long have you like? And I know you're doing a competition. I know you do a lot of judging. How long have you like really been invested? You know, yeah, I, I know where you're going with that. You know, it's, uh, like I said, I took a leave of absence from the hounds and, you know, the, the career path that I chose took a lot of time in the beginning. Um, so I kind of just pushed everything to the side when I moved to the, the, the city of Roanoke, um, moved, uh, my wife and I bought a house down in Bedford County and lo and behold, my neighbor was a, was a bird dog trainer. That's what he did for a living. Um, so and talking with him and seeing the 25 dogs in his kennel, I was like, oh boy, here we go. And <laughs> so I bought a pup and bought the pup and messed with that a little bit. And then I was like, well, and then, I'm, then I buy a started dog from him. And that's where, that's where it got me going again with the bird dogs. And, you know, I competed with the, the started dog that I bought from him. I, I competed in the, the Nastra, the shoot to retrieve venue a little bit. Um, kind of did some of those trials. That's the, you know, the dog points, you shoot the bird, the dog retrieves the bird type deal. Um, traveled around Virginia competing down North Carolina a little bit. Eh, wasn't a huge fan of that. I mean, it was not that it was any, not that there's anything wrong with it because it's absolutely not. It's another game to play with a dog. Um, but that's that's what got me going, and it just it evolved from there. And now it's I, it's more than a hobby, like you said with the hounds. It's a lifestyle, right? And so, what do you? Um, you're a judge. I know you. I know I. Um, you know we kind of take care of each other's dogs. I know you're out of town, and I know you go to Maine and hunt. So what venues are you judging at what level? And yeah, so judging, I've, you know, I started out just judging some of the cover dog stuff. And I say the cover dog, I'm talking about the grouse, mainly grouse and woodcock dogs in the woods. Um, I started that in up in Pennsylvania. And, you know, one thing led to another and another opportunity and another opportunity. And, you know, last let's see, 21, in, in 2020, I, I judged the Grand National Grouse Championship out in Michigan. Um, and that is the biggest, the biggest trial that's put on in the woods, um, on wild birds. 
So that was, I guess, I'm going to throw out a number and say 70-ish dogs. Um, <clears throat> uh, a long trial to judge because, you know, they brace two dogs together and they're on the ground for an hour. And, you know, it's, it's very time-consuming, but, you know, I really enjoy judging because I get to see what's out there. I get to see, I get to see, I'm able to see, you know, what I'm competing against, you know, or maybe there's something I'm looking to add to my dogs. So maybe I would want to breed to, you know, whatever. And a dog, just because the dog wins doesn't mean it's the dog I want to go breed to, but I might see something in a dog that didn't win that, hey, I really like that dog. Um, so yeah, and I've judged, so that's the woods dogs. Um, I've judged a fair amount of uh, dogs, you know, quail trials, walking quail trials, um, this past, this past winter, early spring, I was down in, uh, in Georgia and judged, uh, judged for an organization called the Southern Bird Hunters Association. They had a, they called it their mega trial. So basically they compile all the points from, for the year. And then they invite, they invite like 10 dogs from each, you know, whether they're shooting horseback, shooting dogs or walking, shooting dogs or horseback derbies or walking derbies they invite all those back and they had a big trial and you know i got to see a whole lot of whole lot of good dogs down there and you know so it's very eye-opening and the grand scheme of things you you're able to see what's out there and there's there's a lot of good dogs out there and you know there's there's some mediocre dogs as well and you know so that's that's the judging end of it. I enjoy judging. I really do. It puts it puts me as a judge in a tight spot sometimes because grand scheme of things you're gonna probably you're gonna you're gonna piss somebody you know, fifty eight you're gonna piss fifty eight people off and you're gonna make two people happy. Right. And you know, that's a, that's tough. It's a that's the worst part about judging. Um but you know, if somebody asks you to do a job, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do the job to the best of my abilities and if I miss something, and Lord knows I've missed stuff, as everybody has, but you just got to make the most of it and go on. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, you know, we, you know, like with the canine part of it, you know, I get to see a lot of dogs. I get to go to seminars and, and travel, and I think that's what makes us better is being able to see a, a whole array of dogs and judging, you know, I judge, I judge, you know, I judge bench shows, which is, you know, a little different what you're doing, but, you know, and it is, it's one man's opinion, you know, Absolutely. My, you know, my daughter shows horses and I always tell her, you know, Maddie, go out there and do your best. You know, you, you do better than you did yesterday. And if, if the judge doesn't like your horse or your setup or something you're doing, it's okay. Yep. You know, it's just one person and we're not going to be successful all the time. And if we're successful all the time, it doesn't make our journey as good. It doesn't Absolutely. make the effort put in. So yeah. I want to go back to, you know, you were talking about you see things that you like and you don't like. How, when you're, let's talk about, let's go to breeding first. Okay. So when you're breeding, um, tell us some things that your dogs, that you like, and I know you like your dog because of yours, but what are some things that you're trying to improve in your line that you're looking for in, whether it be the male or the female, what you're breeding to? Right. So, you know, <clears throat> there's several things and they all kind of just jive together you know they've got to they've got to be a bird dog you know if if they're just out running to hear the wind blow through their ears then you know that's no good 
I'm looking for a bird dog, specifically a dog that finds birds, you know. And, and I'll take five seconds to jump back. But the field trial stuff, a lot of times in the quail trials, you see it, it, the judges based based the winners off of a bird count you know how many how many birds did this dog have in the hour and they'll use that dog so kind of like our competition coon huh? correct so you know this you. dog this dog might had he had like seven fines in the hour where the and and they use him as a winner whereas you know i, I don't have a problem using a dog that only had three or four fines as long as they they hunted and their application was correct, they looked beautiful on point. They were broke, you know, the whole nine yards. They didn't make any mistakes. So it's not a bird count for you, for me, when I'm judging. You know, back when I was at the SBHA trial in, in Georgia, I had a handler get get really mad at me because I didn't see a bird. I didn't see a bird go that he had flushed. Well, I was talking with the other handler when it happened, and two, I don't care. I mean, I saw his dog point the bird. The dog looked looked like a million bucks on point, and and I heard the gunshot. I'm I'm good with that. It's it's not a bird count with me. You know, it's ground application. Is the dog classy moving, um, and fancy, and or am I seeing the dog? You know, a dog that's out, they turn him loose, and you see him, and you see him in 20 minutes, and you find him pointed, standing there. I don't. I'm. I'm not after that, you know. I you, you want know, to see the dog work. I want to see the dog. I can't judge what I can't see. Right. And you know, I, I'm not talking about a dog that's under your feet by any means. But a dog that's three or four hundred yards in in that type of country, I can see for the most part. Um, but it's but I kind of got off track there. But no, you you were talking <clears> about you know. So what are some specific things that you like if you're going to strengthen your your bloodline or your um, Right. Your dogs. Uh, yeah. So back to the bird dog. It needs to be a bird dog. It right. needs to be able to find birds. Um, so let me ask you about um, uh, bloodline real quick, because yeah. this is something that we all kind of, you know, you know me, I, I was breeding the same line of dogs for 20 years and I've kind of lost that and I need to revamp it. Do you guys, do y'all look at papers and what, if you go, do you go try to go back in the ancestry or... Are you not scared to venture out with a outcrawl? You know what I'm talking about. Right, you know, so, so how do y'all feel about that? To talk that? about that, I think you're going to get your best dogs from line breeding. Uh, you know, now depending on what the litter produces depends on whether it's line breeding or inbreeding. <laughs> if you follow me there, yeah, <laughs> um, like snakefoot. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but. Typically, your best dogs come from line breeding and being line bred correctly. Um, you have to call in that situation. If you're going to line breed, you can't. You've got to breed the best of the best to bring out the better genetics. Because when you're doubling stuff up or tripling stuff up or quadrupling stuff up, you're just increasing the odds of getting those genes that you don't want. So breeding the best of the best line breeding wise. Um, you can outcross. Um, I'm not afraid to outcross, but again, be selective on what you choose in that litter. You know, if ultimately, if you could keep the whole litter and watch them all and, and see right. and that outcross, then pick the pup that you like the most and go with it. And then you can come back, you take that pup and bring it back to back to your gene pool 
that so you follow me what yeah I'm so yeah i know exactly what you're saying so when you do an outcross are you trying to bring in a specific trait gene yes, are you trying to fix a flaw with that and are and another and, and the second part of that question is are you breeding to that dog because he has it or are you breeding to that dog because he's producing that well that's you know and some you know as well as i do some dogs don't produce Right. They just don't. Top uh, some top top dogs don't correct. produce anything. That's correct. Um but yes, so you know, maybe you're looking to add a little bit of size to your dog. Maybe you're looking to add some run um in the bird dog and you you can outcross and a lot of times you'll get that. But again, be selective in what you keep and then come back to your breeding. Um you know, I'm very, very particular in what I keep Heath only because I've got six kennels and, you know, some of these, some of these kennel operations with bird dogs are just unbelievable. I won't throw numbers out there, but those guys, you know, when, when they're putting 40 puppies on the ground a day Mm -hmm. and looking at them, then they, they have a huge, huge advantage over somebody like myself that, you know, just take the dog and do the best that you can do with it. Right. Um, but yeah, so, but yes, but you can, by outcrossing, you can definitely add, you can definitely add, um, you know, maybe add something that you're missing to that. Right. So, you know, I'm a stickler on, uh, I'm a stickler on confirmation. You know, uh-huh. if, you know, I heard in another discussion about cow hawks, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of that. Bad bites. You know, the people can say what they want, but I, I, I want to better the breed every time that I breed a dog. Now, every with, single time, I want to, I want to make what I have better. Right, and that should be everybody's goal. It should be absolutely. So when you talk about the um, the bad bite, uh, and I have noticed it in some bird dogs, and yep. I, we look at it in our hounds too. Yep. Do do you see certain traits come out? With those with those bites, do you see like another another thing that if, if this dog's got a bad bite, he's going to be doing this or she's going to be doing this? No, I don't. I have not. Um, you know, I, and I've got one in my kennel right now that's got a bad bite, and I'm going to tell you, he, he's he's not but a year and a half old, and he's just a phenomenal bird dog. So you're overlooking something that you personally don't care for because of his abilities he has he has the ability you know he is just i had the dog in maine at 10 10 11 months old and i mean the dog is pointing birds like a five-year-old dog and you know letting me walk in front of him and flush birds uh that's that's amazing for a 10-month-old dog that's really strong genetics that's really strong genetics yeah yep absolutely and and his genetic gene pool is is loaded you know now is he line breeder bread or is he an outcross he's line bread with your stuff Uh, or something else yeah yeah i got you stuff yeah i mean we and we get into the you know the breeding and line breeding and outcrossing and you know some of the european guys that i that i deal with in holland and stuff they don't like to they like to outcross and I've always scratched my head, but they are producing really good numbers. But again, they've got it down to they they they've perfected their craft. Correct. 
you know, I've always been a proponent of line breeding and, you know, I feel like you have a better chance of hitting those genes if they're already there right. and you can cross them. And I know that, you know, breeding dogs is, um, I mean, it's a gamble no matter what you do. Right. Like yep. you said, you can breed the two best dogs <clears throat> in the world and they end up throwing nothing. That's exactly right. And there's, there's been several, there's been several bird dogs that, uh, out there that, you know, have been exactly that they're one hit wonders. You know, it's just a hodgepodge of a pedigree on both sides and they just turn out to be a phenomenal dog. And guess what? They, they do? don't produce. They do not produce. And, yep. and if you look at that, you know, in, in my mind, like, I feel like if you take a a good litter of puppies, let's say that, you know, you breed male A to female B and you get a good litter of puppies and, and the majority of that litter turns out, when you breed that with another cross that is coming from a long, a good line of dogs that have turned out, your chances are better. If that makes sense yeah, what I'm saying? No, I, no, I agree. I, I agree with you. But you're still... You still can't. You could never line breed that. This the right. I'm no. thinking of a specific dog, and, and this specific dog, you could never. You couldn't line breed it if you wanted to because it's such a hodgepodge right. of a pedigree. No, I understand exactly what you're right. saying. And, and you know, everybody and their brother has got dogs, puppies. I mean, they bred the heck out of this dog, and you know, he's not showing anything. No, no. Now, is he producing just, is he producing hunting dogs? Yes, absolutely. He's producing, he's producing bird dogs, um, but he's not producing field trial winners. So, so, all right, let's, let's take it from a competition to a pleasure hunting. Yeah. So he's producing good pleasure dogs. He, he is. Yeah. And is that where his pups are seen to be going? I, I think ultimately he was a, he was a good bird dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what got him where he is or was mm-hmm. um but again he, he just did not produce the field trial dogs and everybody that hunts that has pups out of this dog you know oh they're great bird dogs but you know there are certain things are missing for the competition not, they don't world. have the drive the the run is just typically not there now <clears throat> when you've taken that pup out of said dog and and bred it, and it now the said dog is a couple of generations back. They may be onto something there. I mean, I'm starting to see it. Is is mm-hmm. and his you know great grandkids are, and his grandkids are they're doing it. But there's it, something else there that's causing that, right? Yeah, you would think there's yeah, something been bred in exactly in that that two or three generation Correct. there that's put that extra oomph into them. Correct. Yeah, I get it. I get yep. it. Yeah, I mean, and breeding. Is always again. I don't care. I mean, oh I, yeah, roll the dice. Man. I I mean, I bred, I bred a a a, pup, a male a son out of my old ring dog, and to a granddaughter of ring, and I thought that this was going to be an absolute. I mean, this is going to be it. Yep. And have been disappointed with the results. Right. To say the least. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I now looking back at it. I, I tripled up. I should have should have outcrossed and then went back. Yeah, and you know, speaking of the bird dogs, the the setter is the the setter is a lot lot harder to get. 
um, than the pointer. You know, the setter just, for the most part, and I'm speaking across the board for the most part, the setter takes longer to develop, um, you know, whereas the pointer is a lot quicker to develop and they, it, it's a, it's quite amazing to see, you know, sometimes it, you may be sitting on a setter for two to three years before you really know what you've got with the dog and the pointer at six months old, you know what you got, you know, six, eight months old with the pointer, you know what's happening. Um, you know, it, it's, and that's kind of frustrating because I do like setters and I'm partial to setters, but end of the day to get a good one, it's tough. It's tough. But it, you're having to be patient for those couple oh, it, years. You've got to be patient. Yeah. You, I mean, yeah, because you can't you can't be rough with them for the most part. You've got to take your time and expose them, and it's just a it's almost like a totally different ball game with the setters versus the pointers. Right, and I mean, you kind of you know translate that into the hound world. I mean, you know, we all know that our walkers come out of the gate like racehorses you know you like oh, yeah. you said you kind of know what you get pretty early or you should know and then some of your other breeds are a little bit slower to, to develop and mature and right i think that's a good parallel on you know knowing your breed knowing that hey if i own if i own this i'm gonna have to give it two years right. but if i own this this blood right or genetics yeah. I, I can start picking it apart exactly. at six to eight months so exactly. i mean that's a, that's a good insight yeah i think it's a good opening so all right now that you've got a litter of puppies what uh what do you what are some things that you're looking for and let's take your your pointers because you said they develop a little quicker so at what ages do you start picking up things and what are you looking for to what age you know 10 to 10 to 14 weeks you can tell a lot <laughs> between yeah. litter mates um you know that again back to confirmation you know physical confirmation not not specifically just for the bite but physical confirmation you know is their tail up cracking and they look fancy moving um are they independent or are they wanting to be right at your feet and jump around wanting you to pick them up that you know i want that independent dog i'm looking for the dog that's independent out doing its own thing and that's a fine line too, because, you know, independent, being independent is a excellent trait. However, there has to be a little bit of go with in there. It, yeah. It could be a, it could be a good trait to a downfall. Correct. Just like, uh, we talked about, um, the pups that I have out here, Attica, which I call her attitude. She is really independent. And I, you know, for me, when I'm looking at, at, at dogs, especially, you know, my police dogs, I want a dog that'll work away from me. Right. You're looking for the same thing. Yep. My hound, I want the same thing. I, I want a dog that'll work away from me. And if he gets something that he, he needs to figure out, he don't need to come back and check with dad. He That's can, right. he can do his thing. That's right. But at the same time, there needs to be a little, like if, if I'm over in this hollow and I'm jacking a track or i can't figure it out and the uh, another another pack another one in the pack opens up like for me in the right. in the bear world i want him to go get in on that and take off with it that's right and you're looking for the same thing i am and you know like i said go with when i'm when i say go with i'm saying that dog can still be at four or five hundred yards but when i whoop or holler he better turn and come with me and mm -hmm. 
you know, that's uh, sometimes that's hard to get. And sometimes you don't ever get it. You know, I've got a setter at, at the house that's, you know, he's a great, great bird dog, but that's, that's one of his faults is he, he's hunting for himself and, and not, you know, so if you just want to turn the garment on and follow him, he's going to find you birds, but you might be, you might be, you know, three miles in the wrong direction, just following him because that's what he does. You know, he's, he's a great bird dog, but he's, he hunts for himself a lot. So, <clears throat> and I'm not in the, the bird dog world or the competition. So I, I, I want to ask a question. So if you're that dog that's independent and goes on by itself, mm-hmm. does that hurt you in the, in the competition oh, yeah. side of it? Yeah. He's, you can't, I can't use that dog in competition hunting because you know, the, the competition end of it in the woods is there is a set course that meanders through the woods for an hour uh-huh. and if the dog doesn't go with you he's off course he's off course and you know you call for the tracker then you're done so because because he's out of pocket yeah you can't and you know it, it's kind of hard to explain um but there's typically in the woods with the cover dogs you know the dogs are they've got a garment on and that's just for the insurance policy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they've also got a bell. So, mm-hmm. and the bells are, the bells today are not granddad's bells from yesterday. No. They, these bells are ringing at two. I can hear them, some of these bells at 250 yards. And these dogs are running. Um, they're hammering those bells at 250, 300 yards. And, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes they're in closer. It depends on the cover. Um, but, you know, you... The dog's got that bell on, so it's ringing in his ears, and then you're expecting him to hear you at 300 yards. That's Mm -hmm. tough. That's tough. So if the dog doesn't go with, then that's a a big deal. So I want to incorporate a training, a little training session right here for the bell that, and I learned this from some old timers, and I know that you you probably done it too when we were back in the hounds. If you had a dog that was gun-shy or was extra spooky of noises, We'd put a uh, a goat bell mm-hmm. on their collar, yeah, and let them wear it for a couple months or a month yeah. or whatever, and you didn't have problems after that after that dog. So it's just a different application. You're using yep. it so you can know. Yeah, I need to know where the dog. And is. I I would be mm-hmm. using it so I can uh, desensitize my dog to noises. Right, but it it can be used to fold in the same way with the with the bird dogs. I mean, I know I know a guy that it's got a a year old a year old dog that never had a bell on it and. You know, just completely freaked out when he put the bell on. Ah. Just shut down, shut down. And, you know, over a couple-day period of time with the dog wearing the bell, guess what? It's no big deal now. Right. So, yeah. you know, it, yes, it, it will desensitize a dog yep. for sure. Uh, gunshot, you men- mentioned gunshot. Um, I'm a firm believer that gunshot dogs are man-made. And, uh, well, let's talk about that because that's something that – you know, in the hound world, I mean, we're shooting in amongst them on the ground. You talked yeah. about that earlier, and, you know, we're shooting them out of the tree. Most time they're tied up. Right. If they're tied up, it's not such a big – they don't have nowhere to escape. Right. Uh, but we've all – I mean, I've had that dog that was not tied up, and a gunshot went off, and I was two days trying to catch him. Yeah. So how do you guys uh, – when you said you think it's man-made, right. tell I, me. I, I, I personally think it is man-made, um, and I think it's it's – due to lack of exposure um at a younger age at, at a young age that's yeah. right you know i the dogs the dogs when i'm exposing them to gunfire i'm i'm carrying a 
I'm taking, I don't know, four or five puppies with me at a time and I'm going for a walk in the field and I've got a bag full of pigeons, just a, a bird bag full of pigeons. And, you know, I'll throw a pigeon and let the dogs chase. And once they get far away enough from me, mm-hmm. then I'll fire, I'll fire the blank gun. Yep. Well, they don't pay any attention to it. And, you know, that, so the start that and then just build and build and build. And, you know, so then the next time, or we'll say a week later, uh, I'm throwing another pigeon. Well, I'm firing that gun as soon as the, as soon as I throw the bird, the pups are closer to me. They don't pay any attention because I've got their mind off the gunfire because they want that bird. Mm -hmm. So it's all an exposure. Um, And I mean, hey, there's been a lot of good dogs wrecked because of being gun shot. And you're talking about something hard to fix. Yeah. It is hard to fix. Yeah. And, uh, you know, honestly, a lot of people don't ever fix it. Right. Well, you and you, I want to break down what you just said because, you know, we have to work on gunfire. Our dogs have to be neutral gunfire in the, in the canine world. And then, you know, with, I like my dogs to be, my, when the dog, when the gun goes off for our dogs and you've been there, they think game's coming out of the tree. Oh, yeah. So they, they get, um, classical condition to it but the one thing that you did that i don't know if people pick up is you started far away you didn't have them dogs right underneath your feet firing a weapon over them it's got a loud percussion if you're using a shotgun um that percussion alone um startles a dog oh yeah so you started away and we in like when i bring the police dogs into to the gunfire scenario i do the same thing i'm doing obedience a hundred yards away and as soon as that gun goes off, they get their, their toy, they get to play, and we go back into obedience. Again, the blank gun. I've started some dogs that are little, that are a little bit more sensitive with popping balloons. Pop. Yeah. Pop. Yeah. So, um, you know, what, what you did, I mean, people may not think about it in that sense, but you started a way where it's not shocking their system, and then you bring them in closer, and as they get desensitized, the next thing you know, the dog's standing 10 foot front or 5 foot from you, and you can shoot over its head. It's not an issue. Right. And at the end of the day, in the finished dog, <clears throat> that that gunfire is the reward because the dog did the right thing. You know, it stayed, it stayed broke while you flushed the bird, you fired the shot, and, you know, then the dog's all happy because yeah all was right with the world that's his world uh, yeah. yeah so yeah. you know that's uh but yeah that's a gunshot gunshot dogs across the board whether you're dealing with retrievers or hounds or bird dogs or whatever that it's a very very hard thing to fix yep it is and you know not that it can't be done because it can um but it, it's it's hard it's hard so what are some other traits when you're looking at your pups you know what are some things that you're that stand out to you that you like to see in your pups uh, back to confirmation, you know, it, at 10 to 12 weeks, these dogs, these pups should be, I should be seeing these dogs point birds, you know, mm-hmm. they should be pointing the, the, the little quail or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so then I'm looking at confirmation there on their tail, you know, is their tail curled over their back? Is their tail, you know, is their tail even up? You know, so just little things like that to, to, that I drive off of to see what I'm keeping versus what I'm not keeping. I like a dog as everybody does. It develops early. You know, that little puppy that's out there at four months old, that's just standing birds. You know, that that's a good, that's good. That's the dog I want to keep because that's the dog that's going to develop quicker. Um, and, and back to the tail thing, tail thing is for me, um, I put, 
probably more value into that than I should. Um, again, only because I've got six kennels. I, I don't have the ability to wait around on a litter of pups to see if, you know, little Johnny's tail is going to be poker straight at, at you know, four, 15 months old. Right. Um, so I, I, I want to keep that dog that really looks good, really eye appealing. And sometimes they flop. Sometimes, you know, I picked the wrong one. Yep, sorry. Because they mature and they, they change. They matured and, out, yeah. changed now. Now the dog that was that you really liked at you know four months old, his tail. He's he's so intense on his birds. He's pulling his tail over his back, and you know again, that's that's part of it. You know, it's a roll of the dice. I just don't have the ability to keep forty, fifty, sixty pups to right. look at, and you know so. So would you not? I mean, and I seen somebody had posted a video of a couple I, I don't know if it was pointer i think they were pointers and they had a little flag and the whole there was like five or six oh, puppies whole, yeah. pointing and oh, then yeah. the mother was behind them pointing yeah. i mean at, at 10 to 12 14 weeks old i mean you have to say to yourself this is genetics oh, that yeah. you this is what we want like you know that when you have a litter of puppies or puppies that do that at such a young age that this genetic makeup is what we want. Right. And that, you know, that's the old wing on the string with the fishing pole trick. And, yeah. you know, it, everybody does it. Um, I don't put a whole lot of value into it because uh, it's basically just a sight pointing thing. And, however, you can still look at those litter, that litter of puppies and see, you know, hey, this... I like these two pups. Let's keep let's keep these two pups and see where we're at. Or maybe you know one's tail's only at ten o'clock, and but he's you're something about him that you like. And you know when you got a pup at ten o'clock, then the more the mature, the stronger the tail's going to get. So he's probably going to be poker straight at, if the genetics are there mm-hmm. at when he's a year old. So it, it's a it's a fine line. It's a big gamble. Um, but yeah, that the old wing on a string trick. It, Let's you see what and you're you and might is this with. the like the majority of bird dogs in general is this something that is natural at that age I, it, with the right breeding it is um you know and again i'm fairly particular on what i breed um the pointers in general uh those dogs are just phenomenal bird dogs the setters again like i said they're hard they're hard uh, but yes, most all of the bird dogs are going to point birds. They're all going to, I won't say they're all, but 90% of them, 95% of them are going to point. Um, it's just what you want to put into them. It's what you're going to get out of them. And the development, the exposure, the whole nine yards. Yeah, well, I think the commitment. We, yeah, you know, we've talked about that, the commitment to them. But, yep. you know, I'm sitting here trying to wreck my brain. Like, how do I, how do I incorporate that? into my pups at such a young because my pups are nothing i mean i i don't i don't know that i could could expect my pups at you know they're 11 weeks old um 12 weeks old i don't know that i could i mean i just they chase they chase right i've already used the the flirt pole and they chase um i don't like I don't want my dogs overdone with the sight because I want them to use their nose where yours are combining. Um, But that's the same thing I'm at with that wing on a string and a fishing pole. It's all sight. It's all sight. And I don't don't really put a whole lot of value in that. Right. 
You know, so I know that all six of my pups right now will chase. Um, there's not a whole lot of difference in the chase. Now, I, I, I've got, like I said, I've got a couple that are a little bit stronger in their drive, um, or they're more tenacious. But the other two um, are maybe just a little bit more behind, a little bit behind on them. But I know that when these dogs are a year old, that may be a completely different dog. Right. Can you tell what the alpha dog is of the litter? Oh, att- attitude for sure. Yeah. Attica. So, yeah. And there's, that dog is, is going to be in every litter. Yeah. And, you know, I'm kind of partial to them, but sometimes they can cause you some problems too. She And, and I think she's going to. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got an attitude. She's already, um, she's she hasn't fought over food yet, but she's growl. She's already given those warning signals like, yeah. leave me alone, leave me alone. Right. And I see down the road, I know what that can lead to because I've raised enough dogs and and pups and and watched them mature that if I can't if I can't fix that right now, then I'm going to have problems at the tree later on with her and right. and she's probably she's ahead of everybody in the litter. Yep, like she's ahead of them. Right. Um, and like I said, she her independence is something like you said. I'm on the fence with it. It can go good or bad. Um, but I do not like that dominance. And she right. don't posture like not she's yet. not. Yeah, she's <laughs> not posturing and stuff. Uh, and she, and I've already got on her twice for that. I mean, I stand over them now while they're eating, um, and I I got a little switch. And if she starts that, she already knows when she does it. She's looking at her eyes because she knows that you know dad's gonna get me. Um, and a couple times I've got pictures of her by herself with the other five dogs eating out of a different bowl. So yeah, she's gonna she if it's not if I don't fix it now. That's right. She's gonna be my problem later on. That's right, exactly. So and you're seeing the same thing yeah, in your dogs. Yeah, you're gonna see it. You're gonna yeah. Most all litters well, they're gonna have a somebody's gonna be the alpha. Right now, but you don't y'all don't have problems with the dog being aggressive or oh yes do you? Yeah. yeah well, it, it's the problem is there. And some bloodlines are worse than others. Um, and some breeds are worse than others. You mm-hmm. know, you know, it's the, the pointers across the board are typically not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying that there aren't because I'm sure there is. Uh, the setters do have some aggressive males in them. Um, the short, the German short hairs, the German wire hair dogs, they, they can be mm-hmm. just like any other breed. Um, but, I've seen more aggressive short hairs and wire hairs than pointers versus setters. And did you talk about the the, the German short hairs? We have four short hairs in our group, and then we have one wire hair. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're really becoming a hot commodity when it comes to detection. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, we we when we when we go to our tracking phase of it you you get a dog that wants to carry his head and it's harder for the handlers to read and stuff like that but yeah i mean we've got five we've got five pointers in yeah. our group yeah i mean they're and they're bigger dogs they're not well we got one that's a little female that she's now she's a half pint but the three males are are pretty they're pretty leggy dogs right i mean 70 pounds oh wow big yeah that's big yeah he's the wire-haired one's the biggest one yeah and then the other two so yeah, um, and that's something else you said about size. I, I'm not a huge fan of big dogs. Right. I like I like smaller dogs. You know, um, fifty 
ish pound males and you know 40 pound females is optimal to me you know some of the horseback guys that are field traveling you know out west that and even down south um some of those dogs some of those pointers are 60 70 pounds oh wow and that's to me they just don't show as well you take a small you take a, a dog that's a little bit smaller and just you know fast fast like well, I use the analogy that driving a Ferrari on the on the dirt road, you mm-hmm. know, so you're going to wreck it sometimes. But, <laughs> but but you know that's what I want to see because that's what's exciting. I want that extreme athlete, and that's that's what I'm after. Right, to better it. Yep, I'm after the 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 something that's just wide open. Yeah, and I have noticed that with your age there's a horse trailer sitting down there and i see a horse out in the field so yeah you went from walking to riding well <laughs> i got another horse on the way Uh-oh. um one but, wasn't enough to carry you or what yeah you gotta carry your lunch on the other one is it gonna be a pack <laughs> horse yeah. put, <laughs> put the beer cooler on the other <clears throat> yeah no but uh i bought uh, the horse is i don't know i like horses i've had horses and got out of the horses swore i'd never buy another one and here I am back in it again. Um, but bird dogs and horses go together, um, especially down south. You know, it's not so much just handling off of a horse or working dogs off a horse, but, you know, I, I go to a, lot, a fair amount of walking trials. So unless I want to walk everybody else's brace all day long, hey, I can set my fat butt on the horse and I can ride and watch everybody else's brace and see what their dogs are doing right. versus having to walk. And you can see 10 times better up on a horse anyways. Right. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. So that's, uh, I've, I've been lucky and I've got it. I've got really, really good horse and hopefully got another really good one on the way. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you, of course, you and I both, we had horse, you know, my sister, yep. my family still have horses, my yep. sister and my nephew he he rodeos and then maddie she shows and she has her own horse so we've kind of we both kind of grew yep. up with them and in fact we were riding together at we one were. time yep sure enough yeah so i guess you know things have changed things have changed substantially the <clears throat> horse market like everything else right now it's just out of sight yeah it's just it's ridiculous but i don't know whatever so as we wrap this up, is there is there anything you want to add, take away, anything that you can tell the hound guys that you've learned through the bird dog world that can make us better? No, I think I think in general, I think dog people are dog people, and and everybody should stick together. You know, there's so much anti hunting out there yeah. in, in you know in the country, and you know I, I think we should all have each other's backs um whether we agree or disagree you know um negativity in the dog world is bad and we're all sportsmen and we all want to do right and i think we should stick together yeah what's the saying that about the ship it don't sink from the outside it sinks from the inside that's that's correct and that you know as well as i do heath that that happens in everything Mm-hmm. I mean, it just, that's, that's life. It sinks from the, yeah. Yeah. We should support all hunters. Correct. I get it. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I'm, if you're a dog person, how do you not support exactly other, other exactly. sports? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I want to see everybody succeed and, you know, I, we had talked, uh, had this conversation the other day, you know, the, the stuff that I could do 20 years ago, 
you can't do it now. The right. stuff that I could do 10 years ago has changed. Right. And the hunting that, when I was coon hunting, I could hunt six nights a week and never go to the same place twice. Right. And now I'm lucky to have two spots to hunt right. if it's not national forest. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's a struggle. And, it is hard. It yeah. is hard for me just to find a place to let to, to work dogs. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm. it's hard because, you know, they don't want the horses on their grass or they don't want, you know, they don't want the, you know, the dog stepping on a, a piece of wheat or, you know, it, yeah. it's just, it's hard, hard. So. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's a good analogy. You know, everybody needs to stick together and, you know, as a, as a, hunting community and, and especially the hound community you know we need to stick together and support all types of hunters and and what everybody does because not just because we don't do something that somebody else does doesn't mean that we shouldn't support them and vice versa yep exactly chad i really appreciate you coming sitting down with me and giving us some insight and man there's a lot of parallels here and a lot of stuff that's interchangeable and you know i appreciate your time appreciate yeah. you coming out Thanks for having me. We'll do it again. Maybe we can hit on some other things. I think we can. I really, there's a lot of questions in there that I I did not ask um, because of the time constraints. But So we'll leave you off with this. Chad, you find your way. 